Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And um, I want to look at a topic that I believe, you know, as we grow closer, as we're drawing near to the end times, the end days, the, the uh, latter days, if you will. How many of you know that the Word of God says it's going to be better in the end than it was in the beginning? I want you to know that, okay? Uh, for the church, we have a hope. We have a peace. We have a vision. We have something to look forward to. And you need to know that because as the day draws near, yes, there's going to be trials and tribulations and it's going to grow darker and, and sin will become more prevalent. We have all those promises, but we also have a promise and a reassurance that the closer it gets, the, the stronger we get. Amen? And the better it's going to get for the church. Amen? And you need to know that. Don't be moved by what you see. Man, I heard a powerful quote recently, just a it, it still resonates within me. An individual said, if your input comes more from mainstream media than the word of God, your discouragement is self-inflicted. <laughs> Let that sink in. You're doing it to yourself now. Come on, because what we feed on builds us or tears us down. It either builds us up or it tears us down. It's one or the other. And that's you. So we've got to watch what we're feeding on, and we've got to watch what we're letting in our eye gate and our ear gate. You've got to guard that gate, amen? Guard the gate. Stand watch at the gate of your soul. Stand watch at the gate. Your eyes and your ears and what you're allowing to, to, to hear and what you're allowing yourself to see and meditate on and chew on, you are a product of what you let into your life, okay? And so... If, uh, if, if our input is coming more and emphasized more from mainstream media, and that's just one content, that's just one example, but let the Word of God be your primary source, amen? Don't let it be the little vitamin that you take to supplement everything else. You know, sometimes we expect to get in the Word and we expect it to undo all the garbage we've already been filtering and putting in. Well, why don't you just let the Word of God be the main source, and then you run everything else through the Word. And if it doesn't agree with the Word, you send it out. Send it out. No, nope, that's fear. That's fear-driven. Now, I'm not going to be led by fear. I'm not going to be motivated by fear. No, that doesn't agree with what my God says. Instead of trying to get God to agree with everything you're hearing, why don't we let the Word of God be the filter and be the primary source, and that will help you eradicate and eliminate a lot of waste and a lot of garbage that doesn't need to be there in the first place. Amen? So we want to guard what we're letting in. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the, uh, actually we want to read this in the New Living. The New Living. I don't have an actual New Living Bible, but I like preaching from New Living. I, I study from the New King James. That's where I study from. Just to put a little... This is not like, you know, thus saith the Lord. But we got to be careful with these different translations and interpretations of the Bible. We do. Okay? And I, this isn't me just being archaic and, you know, King James all the way. 
I'm not a big King James fan because I like the new King James. It, it revises the King James, but it keeps the content. It keeps the integrity of the word. It keeps the authenticity and the validity. And we don't need anything challenging or questioning scripture, especially in our last days right now. And so, but a lot of times I'll preach from the new living because it'll help get me to the point that I want to make uh, a, a lot of times. Um, and so, You'll have to excuse me if I ever default to the New King James. But I do want to read this to you out of the New Living, and it'll be on the screen uh, ahead of me. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. And if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman, just immediately refuting God's word. God knows that in the days, or God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Knowing both good and evil. Up to this point, they only knew good. And God apparently was content with man walking on this earth, operating on this earth, only knowing the good that he had revealed. Remember what God said after almost every day of creation? He said what? And he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. And he saw, he created stars, saw that it was good. Created land, saw that it was good. Created man. In fact, when he got to man, he said, and he saw that it was very good. We got a very in front of us. Don't ever let the enemy question your identity and your worth and your value because when God created you, he looked a step above and he said, that right there, that is very good. And that's who he created you to be. Amen. In his image and in his likeness. But it says here that, uh, The serpent refuted, when you eat it, your eyes will be open. So you're going to see something you never saw before is what he's saying. And so what he's saying is God has been withholding something from you. He's using this this tactic of, of making God the enemy to man. Up to this point, God was the partner to man. God was the authority to man, but God was also the partner. Man and God were operating in partnership because God was not ruling and reigning on this earth on his own. God was ruling. We hear that a lot. You know, God is in control. God is in control. God is in control of one thing, his word. God is in control of one thing, his word. So when he spoke the word and said, let them have dominion and let them have authority, guess what? He just removed himself from the equation of being able to rule and operate on this earth uh, uh, in authority over the earth. So anytime God wants to get something done in the earth, guess who he has to use? Us. Well, that sounds boastful. He said it. He said it. I'm not saying it. He said it, let them have dominion. Now, could he come in and say, well, forget it, just, you know, scratch that. I'm I'm taking my authority back. Sure, he could do that. 
But then he'd have to go back and we could challenge everything else he said too. If he's a liar on one, he's a liar on all of it. So that's not something God ever intended to take back from man and say, well, y'all blew it, y'all missed it, give it back to me. No, so he sent his son Jesus to come back and restore the kingdom that was lost in this instance right here. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus restored our position of authority. Jesus restored his kingdom back on earth. That's why he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was praying Genesis 1.26 over again. He was praying that the, the original intent that God had when he created the earth would come back into fruition. But the problem was you and I were separated from God. Sin keeps us from ruling and operating in our authority the way God wanted us to. So Jesus came back not as a way to get us to heaven. He came back as a way to get us back to the Father so that we could get the kingdom into the earth. You got to follow this now because we'll buy the lie that Jesus came to send us all to heaven and then we'll, we'll, we'll wish away our lives here when this was the very purpose you were created for. I said this was the very purpose you were created for. Amen? And so in this instance, the enemy is using this tactic. God is not for you. God is not with you. He's against you. He's actually withholding something from you. He's trying to hide something from you. But if you'll eat the fruit, he knows that your eyes will all of a sudden be open. And you'll be like God. Isn't that interesting that the enemy would trick man with thinking that he would become more like God? Think about this now. A lot of times you think about the devil coming and he's really working on you to try to get you to do evil things. Things that God would be displeased with and things that God would be upset with. But he tricks us and he's cunning in this way. The verse, verse 1 tells us that he's, he's, he, he's uh, uh, tricky, he's cunning, he's deceitful. And he wants us to think that when we're going after things that are of God, that we're trying to pursue some form of goodness or some form of righteousness, he's tricking them to think you'll be more like God. Not trying to trick them into walking away or running away from God. Of course, we know disobedience to God's word does what? Separates them. The word death in the Bible uh, is, is not so much accounted as to a loss of life as it is a separation from God. There's a death that immediately shows up when we're separated from the Father because he was our life source. He was the whole reason why Adam and Eve existed. And so if they sin, if they disobey, they are separated. A wall goes up dividing them from man and the Father. But he tricks them and thinks, you'll be more like God. If you do this, see, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because you'll be like him. Well, if I remember correctly, in Genesis chapter 1, God made man in his image and his, they couldn't be any more like God than the moment he created them. So he's actually dangling something over them that they already have. Wow. See, this is why it's important to know who you are, to know what you have, to know what belongs to you. We say this a lot in our church because uh, for, for too long, the, the church, Christians, believers, 
have, have lost their identity and lost who they are and lost what belongs to you. What belongs to you as a believer? You need to know that. Who are you? How does God see you? You need to know that. That is very important. And Paul made it his mission to clue us in who we are. That's why he used the term in him or in Christ or in whom. He used that term multiple times through his epistles, trying to help you get a better understanding of your identity and who you are. Because if we don't know who we are, then we will allow others to tell us who we are. You ever seen that? We all probably at some point in life have tried to achieve an identity that we thought others would apply to us if we could do certain things or if we could measure up to certain things, we could reach a certain status. But God already knows who you are. God's already given you your identity. And we have no business going to someone else trying to determine who we are when our Father has already determined that. So now you got Adam and Eve trying to achieve something they already own. And they even go the route of sin and disobeying their heavenly father to try to achieve what was already theirs. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Notice the things that are, are drawing her to it. We're not just talking about a piece of fruit. We're not just talking about, you know, something that was on this tree that no other tree had. It was what it represented. It was what would happen if she took that bite. She saw that it was good for food. It was desirable in, in bringing her wisdom that Apparently, she could get no other way. This is what Satan was dangling over her. This is what this snake was dangling over her. She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And so she took of some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame. Satan happened to leave that one out, didn't he? He mentioned uh, you'll be more like God. He mentioned that he's trying to withhold something from you. He mentioned that you'll become wise. He mentioned that you'll know the difference between good and evil. But he didn't mention the shame. He didn't mention the guilt that would show up. Isn't that just like the enemy? He will be the very one that will entice you to sin, and he'll be the first one to show up to tell you how horrible you were because you sinned. I'm in this position because I listened to you. That's how the enemy works. Why he's tricky and he's deceitful and he's cunning, because he knows what he's ultimately trying to get you to do. He doesn't want you to be more like God. He wants you to be less and less like God. He doesn't want you to obey your heavenly father. He wants you to disobey your heavenly father because your authority only operates to the level of your submission. So he recognizes if I can get you out of, out of submission, I can get you out of, out of authority too. So their eyes were open. Suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. That means that they 
were working to try to produce their own solution. Isn't that what we do a lot of times? We blow it, so then we try to get our own resources and our own way of doing things. We try to come up with our own solutions, and then we know God shows up. This word, uh, tricky or cunning, as it is in the New King James, it means this. It means subtle. It means subtle. It means to be smooth or deceptive. It means to be subtle. It means to be smooth or deceptive. In fact, it even carries this connotation, artfully subtle. Artfully, creatively subtle. The enemy works hard at deception. It is his key operation, mode of operation. It is the way he operates in the earth. We need to know this, especially in these last days. Because when somebody is that deceptive, when someone is that cunning and that tricky and that uh, um, is, is able to devise so many ways and so many strategies of deceiving people, what is deception? It's when you believe a lie to be true. It's when you believe something that is false to be true. It's when you believe something to be wrong as actually being good. That's deception. We're not talking about blatant, I know I'm sinning, I know I'm blowing it, I know this goes against God's command, I'm doing it anyways. We're talking about thinking you're right when you couldn't be more wrong. That's deception. And that's where the enemy operates. The enemy does not operate in our lives by bringing to us blatant evil. He operates in our lives by being subtle, by being tricky, by being cunning, creatively tricky. At finding ways to make something wrong look right and at finding ways to make a lie look like truth. Man, it sounds like we got to be on our guard, doesn't it? This is a, a few verses of what the Word of God says about this trickiness. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. In the New Living, it says this, Then we will no longer be immature like children. You know, children can be deceived easily. Part of it is because they have such a childlike believability and a childlike faith. Some people, it takes way too much to explain. God says, it says like this, being tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. By every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. In this passage, he was talking again about the fivefold ministry, the pastors, the apostles, the evangelists, the teachers, and the prophets. Talking about the fivefold ministry, and they are given to equip the saints, you, the body of Christ, for the work of ministry. And he says, as the believer becomes equipped, they become mature. They grow up. They develop an ability to see through the lies. 
They develop an ability not to just swallow everything that comes their way and not to be blown around by every wind of doctrine and every new teaching, new fangled thing that comes out, but to have an opportunity to say, you know what, I can see through that, and that's not of God. That's not an agreement with God's word. And so he says, as we matured, as we grow up, what do we see? We see that we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. This is speaking of the church. This is what the church should look like, especially in these last days. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Again, in the New Living, reads this way. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. He's strategizing. He's making plans. He's devising things. He's putting, like I said, he's working hard at deception. That is where he works. That's where he operates. And it says that we can put on armor that will protect us against those very strategies, against those very modes of deception in ways that he tries to creep in and trick subtly, creatively. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, again in the New Living. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. So there's, there must be an alertness about the body of Christ today. We, we cannot just casually, carelessly go through life, again, just swallowing and following this and following that. He's saying, stay alert, because there's someone that is aggressively going after you. He says it this way. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He prowls around like. Now, the enemy is not a roaring lion. He, does, he has nothing that you should be afraid of. I make that ever so clear. There is nothing about the enemy that we should fear. Nothing about the enemy that we should be afraid of. I remember hearing of an old uh, uh, evangelist. I, I don't remember who it was, and I don't remember how long ago it was. And I don't even know if it's totally true, but it just speaks to the value of knowing who you are in Christ and having no fear. This evangelist said that the, that the devil, Satan himself, showed up in his bedroom. And he, he, he stirred things up so much that furniture was moved out of the way and just all this craziness. And the, he said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, you have to leave. And he left. And then he called him back in the room and said, before you leave, put all the furniture back. I don't know if that's true. I'm not, that's not the word of God. I'm just telling you that as believers, we could do that. As believers, we could talk to him that way. He has no authority over you. He cannot ex exercise any power over you. You are of God, little children. And this is how we overcome the world, even our faith. You have a conqueror inside of you. You have the greater one inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is nothing about the enemy that we should be afraid of. Nothing about his tactics, nothing about his, his, his cunningness, nothing. I'm not saying this to scare you and get you to walk out of here. Got to be looking out for the devil. No, you stay alert by being aggressive in the word of God. Because when you know this very well, it's very easy to identify the counterfeit. To identify the counterfeit. When I worked in banking, you know, bank robberies are obviously a big deal. 
and people trying to trick and, and, and people trying to be deceptive in certain things. And one thing was, you know, people trying to bring you fake money. And so I remember in, in this class that we had, you know, before, uh, you know, you had to go through training and all that, they would give us, uh, you know, some real cash and then they would throw in some counterfeit bills. And some of them were pretty real looking. And they told us this. They said the best way to identify counterfeit cash is to become extremely familiar with real cash. Not going out and studying the counterfeit stuff because there's so much of it, you you can never cover all the bases. But if you would just get to know the one real thing, you can always identify the fake stuff. Come on now. We need to be able to identify the fake stuff. We need to be able to identify the tricks and the lies. I'm not saying you're going looking for it. That is not our mission. Our mission is to preach the gospel. Matthew chapter 24 says that if we'll preach the gospel, preach the gospel of the kingdom, then the end will come. So I'm going to keep preaching the real stuff. I'm going to let the fake stuff fall by the wayside. I'll call it out every time I see it. But I'm going after the real stuff. How about you? Let's go after the gospel. Let's go after the real thing. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think it was with Job that he approached God, the devil. Where have you been, Job? I've been on the earth searching to and fro, right? He's looking. He's searching. Who's a man that I can get on? You know why he attacked Adam and Eve in the garden? You know the number one reason why he went after Adam and Eve in the garden? Because his number one enemy was God. Do you remember what he did in heaven? He wanted to be like God. He wanted God to bow down and worship him. Remember that? He was an angel of light. Lucifer. And God sent him down to the earth. You know why he went after Adam and Eve? Because he saw someone that was the direct representation of God himself. And he said, well, if I get them to bow to me, It's just as if God's bowing to me. That's how close you and I are in image and likeness to God himself. He saw something on that earth roaming around and said, that's it. That's his man. That's his woman. That's the one he's called. That's the one that he's given the authority to. And if I can get them to bow to me, I'll get access to their authority and I can rule this thing. That's why he went after Adam and Eve. Because they look so much like God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Revelation 12, verse 9. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, watch this, the one deceiving the whole world. Deceiving. Deceiving. Guys, we have a deception problem on the earth today. We have a deception problem on the earth today. Now, I want to remind you, going back, he's creatively subtle, right? Artfully, tactfully, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's, he's devising plans, and he's putting together strategies to deceive the world. He doesn't want you to just blatantly run away from God. He wants you to think you're pursuing God when you're really not. That's what he wants. He wants you to believe that you're going after the cause of the kingdom when you're really serving his purpose. That's what he's trying to do in the earth today. 
the greatest answer for deception is discernment. The answer for deception is discernment. The answer for deception is discernment. And discernment comes by the one we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit. When we do not give the Holy Spirit adequate space in our life and the proper space in our life and allow him to, to lead and guide us. What did, the, what did Jesus call him? The spirit of truth. There's a reason why we need a spirit of truth. That's because there are lies floating around that look like truth, but only the Holy Spirit can identify what is really true and what is not. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. He's the spirit of truth. He knows the truth. The Bible says that it's the truth that will set us, what? Free. That means I can get saved. I can get born again. But if I don't come to know truth, I'm still not free. I can be born again and still bound. I can, I can be born again but still walk in deception. So I need discernment by the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit operating in my life. Spirit of truth, open my eyes. Spirit of truth, help me discern. Now this is what discernment is for. You do not need discernment to know good from evil. We need discernment to know good from what looks good. We need discernment so we can recognize what is good and what looks good. This is the trick. This is the battle. This is the fight that we wage now, today, especially in these last days. Where everything wants to sound like the truth. Everything wants to sound good. This is why the messages of tolerance and acceptance are so dangerous in the church. Because what you don't know is you might be bringing something in that is the very essence of destruction to the body of Christ. But we go after it because it simply looks good. Remember, Eve saw that it was good. The fruit looked delicious. It was desirable to make her wise. And she was led by her senses, led by her emotions, led by all the things that we should not be led by. She was not led by the Spirit. This is why being led by the Spirit of God, because the Holy Spirit will never lead you into a lie. It's absolutely impossible for him to do it. He's the spirit of truth. The only thing the Holy Spirit will ever point you to is truth. The only thing he will ever enlighten you to is truth. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1. Paul prays for the church and he prays, like, may they have the eyes of understanding. May, they, may the Holy Spirit grant to them the, the revelation. In the knowledge of him. Why? Because our eyes will deceive us. We will go after what looks good when it's really bad. I don't need discernment to recognize blatant good from blatant evil. I need to know the difference between good and God. I need the difference to know between good and almost good. You know, we've read before, 2 Timothy chapter 4, that many will fall away. From what? From truth. And they'll hand themselves over, give themselves over 
to doctrines of demons. You know what that is? It's word sprinkled with lies. It's the word of God sprinkled with lies. Not to be vulgar, but just for the sake of object, so we can clearly get a picture of this. If I, if I had a plate that had dog droppings on it and offered it to you, you would not take it. I don't even need to answer. I don't need a show of hands. I don't even want you to raise your hand if you say yes. Just keep your hand down. But now if I made some brownies and I just sprinkled a little bit in there and I said, there's just a little bit. It's 98% brownies. Just 2% dog. You eating it? You taking that risk? But yet many believers take that risk with truth every day. Sprinkle with lies. (laughs) Just the 2%, half a percent. It's mostly word. It's mostly doctrine. It's mostly theologically sound. It's mostly biblically correct. The enemy will lace truth with a little bit of lie. That's how he operates. And remember, he's tricky, artfully subtle. He's not gonna come out and say, this is a lie, this has nothing to do with God, come get it. He's gonna say, this kind of looks like it. Did he really say? And we, over time, we begin to buy that and we accept that and we, we tolerate that. And before you know it, we're so far down a path that it's difficult to correct. We've said it before. When you're deceived, you don't only believe a lie, you will defend a lie. You'll defend a lie in the face of truth. Now we can't even bring the truth to you and convince you to try to steer you back on on course. That's deception. You will believe it and defend it and you will tell others about it and you'll act like this is the very truth. This is how we get off this course. Cunning, tricky, deceitful. How do we avoid this, Pastor Mark? Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter five. It's not the blatant evil that will cause us to fall. It's the evil that looks good. It looks good. It's got all the characteristics of good. It's dressed up like it's good. It even comes out of sources that have multiple people following them and look at the size of their ministries and look at how much this taken off. Look at how viral this video's got. It must be truth. We weigh it against all the wrong indicators and we, we, we don't judge it according to the word of God. We judge it against popularity and we judge it against fame and we judge it against notoriety and we judge it against likes and hearts and we judge it against double clicks and we judge it against all the things that are no, not to be indicators of what truth really looks like. We need a people, we need a church that can recognize the truth that has been laced with a lie. 
Hebrews chapter five, verse 11. Do we have that in the New King James? Or just the New Living? I think we got New Living, Amplify. We got a few different ones. Let's go with the New Living. There is much more we would like to say about this. But it is difficult to explain. Especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. The number one way believers get off of truth and believe the truth that is laced with lies is we quit listening. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It does not say faith comes by having heard. It's an active, ongoing, always active hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing it again and hearing it again and hearing it once more and hearing it another time. Many times Jesus and Peter and Paul said, I, I need to remind you, I'm bearing remembrance. We need to bring this to your remembrance. You need to be reminded. You need to, be, you need to have a reminder. Reminders from God are just as important as the initial revelation from God. The worst position we could ever take when getting in the word or hearing a minister is said, I've heard that before. When we get there, we are on a path. We are setting a course for destruction. Every time I hear the word of God, and I don't care if it's from somebody I know well. I don't care if it's a passage I've heard before. I, don't, I can play the same message that I've heard over and over and over. A cassette tape. Anybody remember those? Man, I had cassette tape after cassette tape after cassette tape. I remember as an 8, 9, 10-year-old boy falling asleep with the cassette in the thing. And I'd play them over and over and over and over. I'd wear them out till the stuff started falling out the bottom. There's nothing you could do. You take a pencil, right, number two pencil, and try to wind the little thing on the inside. Anybody remember that? Thank God we've been delivered from the cassette. We've been delivered from the CD that scratches and skips. Uh, 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 uh. Right? Can't. <sighs> Put it back. <sharp inhale> when delivered from it, MP3. I can pause it. I can replay it. Man, the technology we have today, there's no reason why we should be deficient of the word of God. Paul would look at us and be like, what, are you kidding me? If I had that, if I had a way instead of sitting in a prison cell, you can make a YouTube video, you can have a Zoom call, you can put that on your Facebook page. Why are we not spreading the word of God? Why are we not in the word of God? Why are we not digesting the word of God as we ought to? When we quit becoming learners, when we quit becoming hearers, when we quit becoming studiers, when our intake and our input becomes compromised, what I believe becomes compromised too. I can't even recognize truth anymore because I'm not in it enough. I've got to become familiar with the real so I can recognize the counterfeit. But he says, we would love to explain this to you. And it's difficult to explain. And it's not our fault. It's not because I don't know how to put it in words. 
It's because you have become spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. That's a dangerous place to be. You have been believers so long now. Time, time is dangerous to the believer because we'll buy this lie, I've been saved, da-da-da. I've been in church this long. I've served God this long. And we'll use our time as some kind of indicator of our spirituality. The writer of Hebrews very well could have been Paul. Many believe it could have been Paul, although we do not know that. But Paul, writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, had the same argument. By this time, you ought to be able to digest the meat of the word. I'm having to keep giving you milk. And we know historically that book was written anywhere from four to seven years after he initially planted that church. So he actually has an expectation. If you've been a believer from anywhere from four to seven years, there should be some maturity happening. There should be some growing up that takes place. There should be some uh, ability to handle a deeper truth. Now, we don't go after deep truth just to go after deep truth. Many times people want the deep truth. It's really just a sign of continued immaturity because they haven't even applied the simplicity of the word. We saw that Sunday. If he would have given you a great command, a difficult command, wouldn't you? Then follow the simple command. Peter stepped out on the water with one word, come. He he didn't need a whole theological debate, didn't need a Bible thrown at him, didn't need the deep. This is what happens when you apply your faith. It's going to be like walking on the water, but you're not really walking on the water. You're walking on my word. He didn't need all that. He just needed come. If we don't follow the simplicity of what we know, we'll never follow the deep things. But the writer is saying, there's much more that we want to show you. There's much more we want to reveal, but you've proven hard-hearted. You can't receive what else we have because you're, you're, you're not a hearer. Spiritually dull, and you don't seem to listen. It almost sounds like he's talking to children, doesn't he? Been believers for so long now, you ought to be teaching others. Did you ought to be investing in others. And he's not talking to ministers. He's not. He's talking to laity. Do you know you can teach? You can share? I'm appalled at sometimes when, when we as believers don't feel adequate in our knowledge of the word of God or our ability to communicate a certain thing. We need to get better at that. And I'm not knocking you if you feel like, man, I don't know if I can have that. Let's grow in that. Let's develop that. You should be able to have a, co- a, a, a conversation with the coworker of why divine healing is made available for them. That they don't have to walk in sickness and disease and in fear of what a virus may do. And we don't have to drag people to our pastors all the time to say, Pastor, I really need you to, because they, they don't understand this. You can do it. You can have that knowledge base and you can have that level of relationship with your heavenly father. You can convey his heart and convey his character and convey who he is. You don't need a, 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 a hand's laid on, a hands laid on you. you. You don't need, uh, uh, you know, some special classes and, and, you know, a degree and a certificate on your wall to do that. This is a responsibility of every believer to know the word well enough that I can convey it to others. 
You ought to be teaching others instead. You need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk, who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Now watch this last statement. This is the key. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Who through training Did you know that we need to be trained to identify right and wrong? Now, of course, there's levels of right and wrong that we all know. We've all seen the eight-month-old that is told no, and they still try to do it anyways. At eight months old, they know I'm disobeying. I'm not listening to my mom. I'm not listening to my dad. And I'm going to put this fork in the outlet. Why the eight-month-old had a fork in the first place, I don't know. But now they're compounding the problem by placing it somewhere that's going to prove disastrous. And even they know I'm breaking the rules. But now we're talking about a level of right and wrong that is not so identifiable and that we actually need to train ourselves to see the difference between. Wow. The Amplified Version reads it this way. Concerning this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull and sluggish in your spiritual hearing And disinclined to listen. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, because of the time you have had to learn these truths, you actually need someone to teach you again the elementary principles of God's word from the beginning. And you have come to be continually in in need of milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is doctrinally inexperienced and unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a spiritual infant. But solid food is for the spiritually mature whose senses are trained by practice to distinguish between what is morally good and what is evil. This word dull means this, to be lazy, sluggish, and it even means this, stupid. Ignorance is not knowing. Stupidity is not wanting to know. Now we've gone beyond just not knowing to not even having a desire to know any longer. Dull, spiritually dull, sluggish, Slow. Does that, what I just read you, does that sound like someone that is on alert? 
Does it sound like someone that is prepared and disciplined to watch for the one that is prowling around like a roaring lion? Does that sound like someone that is armed with the armor of God to to defuse any strategy of the enemy? I don't think so. Where did Adam and Eve go wrong? We have a condensed version in Genesis. But I can tell you time after time after time, the enemy bombards, the enemy brings a lie, the enemy laces truth even further. The, the enemy disguises it as he want, he's trying to withhold something. He, he doesn't want you to be like him. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. He'll, your eyes will be open. And he continued to bombard. And what happened is, Adam and Eve, over time, became disinclined to listen to the word. They did not keep the word of God in front of them. The enemy did not force himself. The enemy did not come in and attack and grab their authority. He didn't force them, eat the fruit, eat the fruit. You're going to eat the fruit. They handed it over. On a silver platter. Here you go, Mr. Snake. Maybe initially they were like, why is this snake coming to me? Why is this snake talking? Let me remind you that when God created Adam and Eve, when he created man on the earth, he gave them dominion and authority to what? Rule over the birds of the air, fish of the sea, and over all the earth. All it would have taken is one command to dismiss the snake from the garden since that was in their domain and in their territory and he would have been gone. What does the word of God say? Resist the devil. It says submit to God, resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you and the the translation of that is flee from you, run away as in terror. Who's afraid of who? Who's afraid of who? He's more afraid of you than you are of him. He's afraid you'll ever find out who you are in Christ. He's afraid he'll ever find out the authority you possess over him. He's afraid you'll ever find out that he said to cast out demons in my name. Lay hands on the sick in my name. He's afraid you'll ever find out that the same power that raised Christ from the dead resides and dwells in you. He's afraid that you'll ever find out that greater is he that is inside of you than him that is in the world. He's afraid that you'll ever find out you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. That your old is gone and the new has come and he can't even use your past on you anymore. He's afraid you'll ever discover who you really are. He's way more afraid of you. But we have a condition today where we are, we are giving in to the subtle, cunning, tricky, creatively divisive lies of the enemy. In the, I think this is the English standard version, the ESV, verse 14 reads this way. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Man, 
to be deceived, to, to buy a lie and even defend it as truth. We got to be careful. So I can't become disinclined to hear. I have to apply what I know. I have to be in the practice of teaching others and sharing what I do know. You know, one thing I found is with the more you will share what you do know, the more confident of it you'll become. You will. You will become more, you'll be more assured, man, this is true. Just by sharing it, helping others, sharing what you know. But when we come in dull and lazy and sluggish, and even with this stupid mentality, I don't, don't want to hear that. I don't want to know that. That's a dangerous way to exist. We become a prime candidate. We qualify for being tossed to and fro by every new teaching. You know, it goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, they will heap up for themselves teachers. That just blows me away. When I picture end times and when I picture darkness on the earth, I picture people running away from God. I picture churches closing down. I picture, uh, uh, you know, people of the word being in very rare form. That's not what the Bible says. He says that there will be heapfuls of teachers. We'll run after new teaching. We'll open new churches and start new ministries all off of a lie. It's going to look different. Not everybody that has church on their, on their sign is a church. Not everybody that is, is going, that, that, that calls themselves a ministry is going after the things of God. This is why we have to, we have to know. This can't be something that you know, this is what Pastor Mark said. That's not going to cut it. This is what they taught at my church. This is uh, what my grandma used to say. No, you need to know the word for yourself. You need and you cannot be armed with someone else's word. It won't work. So we need discernment in these last days. We need the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to reveal the truth to us. Make it known to us. Be hungry for truth. Be hungry to know what does God's word say. How can I apply it? How can I live it? How can I put this into practice? How, how, who can I share this with? How can I help others come to know this truth? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.